0: Welcome back to the Mahabharata Podcast. We have now heard of the Brahmana, Sage Ruru, descendant of Sage Brigul the son of Lord Brahma, and his union with Brahmadwara, who was bitten by a snake days before their marriage, and her being brought back to life through Ruru by the agreement with the God of Justice, Dharmaraj whereby Ruru gave up half of the duration of his life in exchange for half of hers to be restored. Then came the interaction between Ruru and the snake-like entity Dunduba, who being turned back into human form, was a sage known as Sahasrapat. Sage Sahasrapat had previously been cursed to become a snake after what he intended to be a humorous interaction with his friend ended badly. Sage Sahasrapat, on seeing the aggression of Ruru towards snakes, encouraged him to learn the history of the persecution of the snake race by King Janamajaya and the redemption of the snakes through the sage Ashtika. Suta Goswami therefore began with the explanation of the birth of Ashtika, beginning with the history of the father of Ashtika, the sage Jaratkaru. Having married a serpent princess, also called Jaratkaru, the sister of the serpent king Vasuki, they had given birth to the snake-gened Ashtika. Shonaka Muni, not being quite satisfied with the condensed version of the story of the birth of Ashtika, spoke. O Sutta, relate once more in detail this history of the learned and virtuous Ashtika. Our curiosity for hearing this is great. O amiable one, thou speakest sweetly with proper accent and emphasis, and we are well pleased with thy speech. Thou speakest even as thy father. Thy sire was ever ready to please us with his stories. Tell us now the story as thy father had related it. Suta Goswami replied to Shonaka Rishi, O thou that art blessed with longevity, I shall narrate the history of Ashtika as I heard it from my father, Loma Harsana. O dear Brahmana Shonaka, in the golden age of Satya Yuga, the age of truth, Prajapati had two daughters. O sinless one, The sisters were endowed with wonderful beauty and were named Kadru and Vinata, and they became the wives of the sage Gashyap. Gashyap is unequivocally recognized as amongst the seven great sages and is sometimes cited as the first among sages. His name directly translates to turtle. In ancient texts of the Greeks linked to some of the ventures of Alexander the Great, the land called Kashmir today was called Kasperia. and there are some who understand that this may have been derived from the word Gushyap, Mira or the place of Gushyap. Gushyap Muni was known for many things he was the grandson of Brahma and the son of the great sage Marichi, another one of the seven great sages. And so Marichi and Gushyap is the only father and son pair in the list of seven sages. Gushyap had 18 wives, including Aditi, the goddess of the sky, consciousness, the past, the future, and of fertility and who was the daughter of Prajapati Daksha, the father-in-law of Lord Shiva. Also, another wife of Kashyap is Diti, the mother of the score of daityas or Demons, amongst whom is born Hiranyagashipu, Hiranyaksha, and the Lady Holika, after whom is named the celebration of Holi. Interestingly, Gashyap Muni is also regarded as having been married to Surabi, the cow goddess, and the daughter of Prajapati Daksha. And from these, i.e. Gashyap and Surabi, came Nandini, the cow of sage Vasishta, in relation to whom there was an argument with the sage Vishwamitra that is covered multiple times in the Mahabharata. From unions of Kashyap also came the Gandharvas, the Apsaras, the Adityas, Rudras, Vasus, Deityas, Maruts, Dhanavas, Nagas or serpents, Manasa, the goddess of the serpents, Iravati, and as we shall see, Aruna and Garuda, the eagles." And so, Kashyap Muni is really one of the progenitors of all of the races included throughout the Vedic body, and is by far the most pivotal sage in the entire Vedic family tree. So back to the story by Suta Goswami. Kashyap derived great pleasure from his two wedded wives, and being gratified, He resembling the Prajapati, the progenitor himself, offered to give each of them a boon. Hearing that their lord was willing to confer on them their choice blessings, those excellent ladies felt transports of joy. Gadru wished to have, for sons, a thousand snakes all of equal splendour, and Vinata wished to bring forth two sons, surpassing the thousand offsprings of Kadru in strength, energy, size of body and prowess. Unto Kadru her lord gave that boon about a multitude of offspring. And unto Vinata also, Kashyap said, be it so. Then Vinata, having obtained her prayer, rejoiced greatly and obtaining two sons of superior prowess she regarded her boon fulfilled. Gadru also obtained her thousand sons of equal splendor. Bear the embryos carefully, said Gashup and then he went into the forest leaving his two wives pleased with his blessings. The Sutta continued, After a long time, Kadru brought forth a thousand eggs, and Vinata too. Their maidservants deposited the eggs separately in warm vessels. Five hundred years passed, and the thousand eggs produced by Kadru burst, and out came the progeny. But the twins of Vinata did not appear. Vinata was jealous. And therefore, she broke one of the eggs, and found in it an embryo, with the upper part developed, but the lower one undeveloped. At this, the child in the egg became angry, and cursed his mother, saying, Since thou hast prematurely broke this egg, thou shalt serve as a slave shouldst thou wait five hundred years and not destroy or render the other egg half-developed by breaking it through impatience, then the illustrious child within it will deliver thee from the slavery. And if thou would have the child strong, thou must tender care of the egg for all this time. Thus cursing his mother, the child rose to the sky. O Brahmana, even he is the charioteer of the sun god Surya, always seen in the hour of the morning. Then at the expiration of the five hundred years, bursting open the other egg, out came Garuda, the serpent eater. O tiger of the Bhrigu's race, immediately on seeing the light, that son of Vinata left his mother. And this lord of all birds, the great eagle Garuda, feeling hungry, took wing in quest of the food assigned to him by the great ordainer of all. The Sutta continued, O ascetic Shonaka, about this time the two sisters Kadru and Vinata saw approaching near that steed of complacent appearance named Uchchayshravas, who was worshipped by the gods, that gem of steeds who arose at the churning of the ocean for nectar, divine, graceful, Perpetually young, creation's masterpiece, and of irresistible vigour, it was blessed with every auspicious mark. Shonaka Rishi asked Suta Goswami, Why did the gods churn the ocean for nectar? And under what circumstances, and when you say, did the best of steeds so powerful and resplendent spring? The Suta replied, There is a mountain named Meru of blazing appearance and looking like a heap of effulgence. The rays of sun falling on its peaks of golden luster are dispersed by them. Decked with gold and exceedingly beautiful, that mountain is the haunt of the gods and the Gandharvas. It is immeasurable and unapproachable by men of manifold sins. Dreadful beasts of prey wander over its breasts, and it is illuminated by many divine life giving herbs. It stands kissing the heavens by its height and is the first among mountains. Ordinary people cannot even think of ascending it. It is graced with trees and streams and resounds with the charming melody of winged choirs. Once upon a time, the celestial sat on its begemmed peak in conclave. They who had practised penances and observed excellent vows for the nectar now seemed to be eager seekers after this nectar. Seeing the celestial assembly In anxious mood, Narayan said to Brahmā, Do thou churn the ocean with the gods and the demons. By doing so, nectar will be obtained as also all herbs and gems. O ye gods, churn the ocean, ye will discover the nectar, the Amrita. The Sutta continued. There is a mountain called Mandara, adorned with cloud like peaks. It is the best of mountains and is covered all over with intertwining herbs. There, countless birds pour forth their melodies, and beasts of prey roam about. The gods, the damsels, and the kinaras. Visit that place. Upwards it rises 11,000 yojanas, and descends downwards as much. The gods wanted to tear it up and use it as a churning rod, but failed to do so. Same to Vishnu and Brahma, who were sitting together and said unto them, Devise some efficient scheme. Consider, ye gods, how Mandra may be dislodged for our good. Sutta continued O son of Brigul, Shonakamuni, Vishnu and Brahma assented to it, and the lotus eyed one, Vishnu, laid the hard task on the mighty Ananta, the prince of snakes. The powerful Ananta directed thereto both by Brahma and Narayan, tore up the mountain with the woods thereon and with the denizens of those woods. And the gods came to the shore of the ocean with Ananta and addressed the ocean, saying, O ocean, we have come to churn thy waters for obtaining nectar. And the ocean replied, Be it so, as I shall not go without a share of it, I am able to bear the prodigious agitation of my waters set up by the mountain. The gods then went to the king of tortoises and said to him, O tortoise king, thou will have to hold the mountains on thy back. The tortoise king agreed. And Indra contrived to place the mountain on the tortoise's back. And the gods and the asuras, the demons, made of Mandara a churning staff and Vasuki, the cord, and set about churning the deep for Amrit, the nectar. The asuras held Vasuki by the hood and the gods held him by the tail. And Ananta, the snake, who was on the side of the gods, at intervals raised the snake's hood and suddenly lowered it. And in consequence of the stretch, Vasuki received at the hands of the gods and the demons black vapors with flames issued from his mouth. These turned into clouds charged with lightning, poured showers that refreshed the tired gods, and flowers that also fell on all sides of the celestials, from the trees on the whirling mandara, refreshed them all. Then out of the deep came a tremendous roar, like unto the roar of the clouds at the universal dissolution. Diverse aquatic animals being crushed with the great mountain, gave up the ghosts in the salt waters. And many denizens of the lower regions and the world of Varuna, the ocean, were killed. Large trees with buds, on the whirling Mundara were torn up by the roots and fell into the waters. The mutual friction of those trees also produced fires that blazed up frequently. The mountain thus looked like a mass of dark clouds charged with lightning. The fire spread and consumed the lions, the elephants and other creatures that were on the mountain. Then Indra extinguished the fire by pouring down heavy showers. After the churning, O Brahmana, had gone on for some time, gummy exudations of various trees and herbs, vested with the properties of nectar, mingled with the waters of the ocean, and the celestials attained to immortality by drinking of the water mixed with those gums and with the liquid extract of gold. By degrees, the milky water of the agitated deep turned into clarified butter by virtue of those gums and juices. But the nectar did not appear even then. The gods came before the boon-granting Brahma, seated on his seat and said, Sire, we are spent. We have no strength left to churn any further nectar hath not yet arisen and that now we have no resources save narayan on hearing them brahma said to narayan "O lord condescend to grant the god's strength to churn the deep afresh then narayan Agreeing to grant their various prayers, said, Yea, wise ones, I grant you sufficient strength. Go put the mountain in position again and churn the water. Re-established thus in strength, the gods reconvened the churning. And after a while, the mild moon of a thousand rays emerged from the ocean. Thereafter sprung forth the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, dressed in white, then Soma, the moon, then the white steed, and then the celestial gem, the Kastoba, which graces the breast of Narayan. Then Lakshmi, Soma, and the steed, fleet as the mind, all came before the gods on high. Then arose the divine Danvantari himself with the white vessel of nectar in his hand. And seeing him, the asuras set up a loud cry, saying, it be ours. And at length rose the great elephant, a of huge body and with two pairs of white tusks and he took indra the wielder of the thunderbolt but with the churning still going on the poison kalakuta appeared at last engulfing the earth it suddenly blazed up like a fire attended with fumes and by the scent of the fearful kalakuta The three worlds were stupefied. And then Shiva, being solicited by Brahma, his father, swallowed that poison for the safety of all creation. The divine Maheshwar held it in his throat and it is said from that time he is called Nilganta, the blue-throated one. Seeing all these wondrous things, the demons, the asuras, were filled with despair and got themselves prepared for entering into hostilities with the gods for the possession of the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, and the nectar. Thereupon Narayan called his bewitching Maya the illusory power to his aid and assuming the form of an enticing female coqueted with the Dhānavas. The Dhānavas and the Deityas charmed with her exquisite beauty and grace lost their reason and unanimously placed the Amrita in the hands of that fair damsel. Then the Deityas and Dhānavas, equipped with first-class armour and various weapons attacked the gods. In the meantime, the valiant Lord Vishnu, in the form of an Enchantress, accompanied by the sage Nara, deceived the mighty Dhānavas and took away the Amrit from their hands. And all of the gods at that time of great fright drank the nectar with delight, having received it from Vishnu. And while the gods were partaking of it, after which they had so much hankered, Adhanava, a demon named Rahu, was also drinking it amongst them in the guise of a god And when the Amrita had reached Rahu's throat only, Surya and Soma, the gods, recognised him to be a demon and intimated the fact with the other gods. And Narayan instantly cut off with his discus, the well-adorned head of the dhanava that was drinking the Amrita without permission. And the huge head of this Dhānava, cut off by the discus and resembling a mountain peak, then rose up to the sky and began to utter dreadful cries. And the Dhānava's headless trunk, falling upon the ground and rolling thereon, made the earth tremble with her mountains, forests and islands. And from that time There is a long-standing quarrel between Rahu's head and Surya and Soma. And to this day it swalloweth Surya and Soma during solar and lunar eclipses. Then Narayan, quitting his enchanting female form and hurling many terrible weapons at the demons, made them tremble. And thus, on the shores of the salt water sea, commenced the dreadful battle of the gods and the demons. And sharp pointed javelins and lances and various weapons by thousands began to be discharged on all sides, and mangled with the discus, and wounded with swords, darts, and maces. The asuras, in large numbers, vomited blood, and lay prostrate on the earth, cut off from the trunks with sharp double-edged swords, heads adorned with bright gold, continually fell on the field of battle. Their bodies drenched in gore, the great Asuras lay dead everywhere. It seemed as if red dyed mountain peaks lay scattered all around. And when the sun rose in his splendour, thousands of warriors struck one another with weapons again, and cries of distress were heard everywhere. The warriors fighting at a distance from one another brought one another down by sharp iron missiles and those fighting at close quarters slew one another with blows of their fists. And the air was filled with shrieks of distress again. Everywhere were heard the alarming sounds of cutting, piercing, hurling down and fast advancing. And when the battle was raging, fiercely, Nara and Narayan entered the field. And Narayan, seeing the celestial bow in the hand of Nara, called to his mind his own weapon, the dhanav-destroying discus. And lo, the discus Sudarshan, destroyer of the enemies, like to Agni in effulgence, and dreadful in battle came from the sky as soon as it was thought of. And when it came, Narayan of fierce energy, possessing arms like the trunk of an elephant, hurled it with great force and of extraordinary luster, effulgent as blazing fire, dreadful and capable of destroying hostile towns. And that discus, blazing like the fire that consumeth all things at the end of the age, hurled with force from the hands of Narayan, and falling constantly everywhere, destroyed the Deityas and the Dhanavas by thousands. Sometimes it blazed like fire and consumed them all. Sometimes it struck them down as it coursed through the sky And sometimes, falling on the earth, it drank their lifeblood like a goblin. On the other hand, the Dhanavas, white as the clouds from which the rain has dropped, possessing great strength and with bold hearts, ascended the skies, and by hurling down thousands of mountains, continually harassed the gods. And those dreadful mountains like masses of clouds, with their trees and flat tops falling from the sky, collided with one another and produced a tremendous roar. And when thousands of warriors shouted without intermission, in the field of battle and mountains with the woods thereon being fallen around, the earth with her forests trembled. Then the divine Nara appeared at the scene of the dreadful conflict between the Asuras and the Ganas, the followers of Rudra Shiva. And reducing to dust those rocks by means of his gold-headed arrows, he covered the heavens with dust. Thus, discomfited by the gods, and seeing the furious discus scouring the fields of heaven like a blazing flame, the mighty Danavas entered the bowels of the earth while others plunged into the sea of salt waters. And after having gained victory, the gods offered due respect to the mountain Mandara and placed him again on his own base. And the nectar-bearing gods made the heavens resound with their shouts and went to their own abodes. And the gods on returning to the heavens rejoiced greatly. And Indra and the other deities made over to Narayan the vessel of nectar for careful keeping. Suta Goswami then said to Shonaka, "Thus I have recited to you the whole story of how nectar the Amrit, was churned out of the ocean and the occasion on which the horse, Ujjjaisravas, of great beauty and incomparable prowess was obtained.